Welcome to New Narrative Southeast Asia Dispatches. I'm your host, Bonnie Bell Rambatan, Editorial Manager for New Narrative. New Narrative is a movement to democratize democracy in Southeast Asia, and this podcast is one of the ways we attempt to do just that. In this podcast, we talk a lot about the state of media freedom and the erosion of democracy in Southeast Asia. You're probably pretty familiar with the various things governments do to stay in power, one of which is through unjust laws and trumped-up charges. One insidious instance commonly used against activists and human rights defenders is red-tagging, or branding people as communists or terrorists. It has a very bloody history and unfortunately remains common practice to this day. In July 2022, Yasmin Rubia, Kenneth Rementilla and Haley Pecayo took part in a fact-finding mission to look into the alleged murder of Kailin Casal, a nine-year-old girl, and Maximino Digno, a 50-year-old farmer, by members of the 59th Infantry Battalion on July 18th in Taisan, Batangas. Later, the military stated that people who took part in the fact-finding mission were giving terrorists material assistance. Members of the 59th Infantry Battalion harassed and intimidated participants of that mission. As a result, the mission's representatives, Rubia and Rementiria, filed a complaint with the Commission on Human Rights on August 1, 2022. Rementiria and Rubia were allegedly summoned on June 26 after Karapatan Southern Tagalog got a copy of a subpoena accusing them of breaching Section 12 of the Anti-Terrorism Act, or ATA, or giving material assistance to terrorists. The military also accused Pekayo of being a member of the New People's Army, or NPA, which is the odd wing of the Communist Party of the Philippines. The law authorizes the police and military to hold people for up to 24 days without a warrant or charge. This is clearly in violation of international laws and standards. But this is what red tagging does, giving the government vast rights to conduct surveillance and label groups or people as terrorists without due process or in fact any clarity on how that label can be removed afterwards. We're unsure of our fate, but against all odds, we remain steadfast and inclined to our principles. It's during these times that we remember to hold on to the power of the mass movement led by the people for the people. We aim to expose the state-sponsored attacks in many provinces in Southern Tagalog. We continuously conduct fact-finding missions and human humanitarian missions to aid victims of human rights violations in order to claim our democratic spaces. This is one big fight for each and every one of us, for many human rights defenders, for many activists. This is all for democracy, for human rights, and for just and lasting peace for the whole world, not only for one country. Keeping the fight and keeping the struggle would be so, so worth it in the end, and we are not alone. That is Ken Rementilla, Anakbayan Southern Tagalog Regional Coordinator, Haley Pekayo, Tangol Batangan Paralegal, and Cham Maranan, Defense Southern Tagalog Spokesperson. In this episode, we will talk about the Kailin and Maximino investigation, the ATA law in the Philippines, and what we can do as Southeast Asians to support the persecuted activists and to vigorously fight for the repeal of said law.
we are here specifically to talk about the uh, the case of the uh, Kylian Casal and Maximino Digno investigation. Um, can you tell the listeners a bit about that? Uh, about a bit about that particular case. The fact-finding humanitarian mission for Kylian Casal was held on. July 22, 2022, when Haley Pecayo of Tangol Batangan and Jasmine Rubia of Mothers and Children for the Protection of Human Rights went to visit the victim's family during the nine-year-old's wake. And during that time, there was presence of the military. Haley and Jasmine, both women, were taken advantage by members of the 59th Infantry Battalion, as they were continually harassed, including demands for pictures, red tagging, and unsolicited physical contact. The Armed Forces of the Philippines, or AFP, claims that an armed encounter happened in Barangay Ginhawa, Taisan, Batangas, on July 18, which resulted in the death of the nine-year-old girl, the report said that Kailin was caught in the crossfire between the military and the New People's Army, or NPA. Our fact-finding efforts debunked this claim. The truth is, the 59IB engaged in indiscriminate firing. And according to witnesses, Kailin was taking her family's coat out to pasture at the time of the incident. And there was no armed encounter but the military's presence was there at the time of the killing. And then on July 25, 2022, in Kalaka Town, which is also in Batangas, Maximino Digno, an ordinary farmer, was slain in the hands of the 59IB. The AFP once again tried to cover up their crimes by claiming that Maximino was a member of NPA. But local residents have come out to dispute these claims, saying that he was actually a local farmer. He was last seen going to his field when elements of the 59IB found and killed him. Maximino was in his 50s. His neighbors said he had a mental disability. The 59IB has no remorse. They posted this the, the the killing, the death of Maximino on their Facebook page, like his death was some kind of trophy. And in the comment section, uh, the people are angry because they know the truth, that Maximino, an ordinary farmer, was intentionally murdered by the military. This is the reality of the human rights crisis in the Philippines, Kailin and Maximino both came from a family of farmers and peasants who are vulnerable to human rights violations because of the increased militarization in the provinces. On July 30, 2022, that's when I joined the second wave of the fact-finding humanitarian mission. We visited the family of Kailin Casal to give our aid. We couldn't just let it slide that the family is suffering from the loss of their beloved daughter because of injustice. When we were taking, uh, when we were talking to the family and holding a prayer program, military forces from the 59th Infantry Battalion arrived to 
harass, red tag, take photos and videos of us, forcing us to move away like they were hiding something. They caused a scene and there was actually a Facebook live of this. We have proof that they blatantly red tag and harass us. And then on August 1, we filed a complaint through the Commission of Human Rights that we were victims of threats, harassment, intimidation, and red tagging by this military unit. And apart from this, we also urged the House of Representatives to investigate the military operations that caused the deaths of Kailin and Maximino. And a resolution was crafted, led by the Congresswoman Arlene Rosas of the Gabriela Women's Party. And then after a year, uh, this year in the month of June, yeah, that's when we found out the 59 IB filed Trump up charges against us. And this is under the terror law because we expose the truth and because we want to give justice uh, to the victims. That's where we are right now. What what I've noticed also is there's, there's a lot of things going with like the accusations that people are providing material support or people is a member of, of NPA and there's all of these fabricated testimonies and like, you know, the so-called rebel uh, rebel surrenderies. Um, and I believe like like uh, Haley Picayo is, is one of them, one of the people who's been accused and maybe Haley can later um, talk more about that. But what do you understand about this um, charm? Yes, no. With regards to the case of Ms. Haley Picayo, so Ms. Haley Picayo is the spokesperson of uh, the human rights group Tangol Batangan, which is based in the province of Batangas, also in the southern Tagalog region. And what the military is saying is that she is a terrorist herself which is a baseless accusation. Haley is a human rights defender. She has she has done the work religiously and very passionately. She has been there uh, for victims of human rights abuses. And right now, she is facing uh, trumped-up charges based on Sections 4A and 4D of the Anti-Terrorism Act, which says that, or which alleges, that she herself is a terrorist, that she is one of those who killed uh, Maximino and Kailin in the encounters that transpired on July 18th and July 25th. But this is this cannot be further from the truth because Haley was actually there uh, as a part of the humanitarian mission that uh, the Human Rights Alliance Karapatan Southern Tagalog did to assist the families and the victims of uh, that alleged uh, armed encounter and which resulted to the death of these two individuals. The complaints are based on fabricated testimonies from the soldiers and what they claim to be rebel surrenderies. These are intended to hinder my work as a human rights defender. 59 Infantry Battalion has been notorious and in increased militarization in Batangas, my province, under the new administration of Marcos Jr. Kailin Casao and Maximino Dignos family received threats and intimidation from the Philippine Army. As sumasob them from exposing the gruesome murder their men have inflicted and the nine-year-old victim, Kailin Casao, and a senior citizen, Maximino Digno. Until today, as we continue to call for justice for Digno and Casao, the answer of the state has been to silence our calls by targeting us, human rights defenders.
This year, 2023, Alfred Manalo and Lloyd Escalier, who were mercilessly abducted at daylight on March 26, 2023, while conducting their fieldwork for Sugar Folks Unity for Genuine Agrarian Reform that calls for the salvation of the local sugar production after the closure of Central Azucarera de Don Pedro Incorporation. And bystander Angelito Balitostos, a senior citizen, also known as Balayan Tree. The victims were in the hands of Philippine in 59 Infantry Battalion, Philippine Army, and its satellite base in Barangay Tulos, Rosario, Batangas. 59 IBPA delayed and refused the right to counsel of its alleged detained victims. Since the 3rd of August, 59 Infantry Battalion have been pouring in and occupying civilian households in Barangay Putol, causing widespread fear and tension among locals. There were numerous reports of locals experiencing hunger due to fear of minority soldiers and frequenting their farm. A family highly troubled of how this seeming militarization might affect the health of children and elders especially those in already frail conditions and of concerns of falling victims of extrajudicial killings, abduction committed by the military. The military has endlessly since blurred and blatantly ignored the line deferring armed combatants from unarmed civilians, which by doing so blinds them with their thirst to quench their repetitive losses and dissipating the new people's army and taking their frustration unto non-combatants. And I, and also human rights defenders, becoming their recent addition to the everlasting list of victims, they only keep on proving that they were the terrorists they so loudly came to be protecting the Filipino people from. They are enablers of state-facilitated fascism that defies not only its own Bill of Rights in the Philippine Constitution, but vigorously mocks and disrespect the international humanitarian laws and its likes. That's, oh yeah, that's, that's horrible. But how is it going right now? Um, and there, there are also numerous complaints, right? I think that's the numbers about like uh, 15 or 18, the, the, the ones like the charges related to the um, Anti-Terrorism Act against, the, against individuals and against uh, human right, other human rights defenders, perhaps. Is it is it is it usually effective to uh, to to you know to to keep to keep people to oppress people I suppose from fighting uh, for their rights or how how's it going right now? Yes, in the southern Tagalog region alone, we have documented uh, eighteen cases, eighteen cases of the use of the Anti-Terrorism Act of twenty twenty to silence human rights defenders, to silence progressives. Actually, some of them are youth. Youth Human Rights Defenders, namely Haley Pecayo, Jasmine Rubia, and Kenneth Rementilia. So what the what the government is currently doing is that they try to use the law, as, as, as we like to call it, this is uh, persecution through prosecution. They use the law to demoralize uh, these human rights defenders, the progressives, the activists, and they try to stifle dissent. We have been very active in our work of exposing the atrocities and the human rights abuses that the current regime is doing through the armed forces of the Philippines in different parts of the region. And actually, not only is the youth targeted, but uh, we also have two cases against uh, church people, namely a Reverend Lofi Baluntong of the United Methodist Church. 
and uh, Reverend Edwin Egar uh, from the United Church of Christ in the Philippines. And they are also human rights defenders. They have done their church work through helping marginalized communities and assisting those in need. But what they do or what we do as human rights defenders and as community organizers are being labeled as terrorism. They allege that we provide material support to the New People's Army or that uh, we provide logistical support. Actually, what is funny about the case of Haley is that uh, Shins, Ken, and Jasmine, Ken Rementilia and Jasmine Rubio were there as part of the humanitarian team. The charges against Ken and Jas are said that they that they are accused of uh, violating the Anti-Terrorism Act just because they were there and they assisted Haley. So the accusations are absurd in the fact that Haley is being labeled as a terrorist herself. They say that she is a member of the New People's Army and then they... Uh, file trumped up complaints against Ken and Jess because they are they are alleging that they supported Haley, and since Haley is a terrorist, then they are also now accused of providing material support to terrorists. So these things can be seen as an attack on our civil liberties and our human rights. The Anti-Terrorism Act actually has very, very vague provisions of what counts for terrorism. And it can really be used to stifle dissent and to to, to stifle uh, our civil liberties, such as our freedom of expression, our freedom to assemble, uh, things like that. So yes, uh, currently, the situation is very alarming, not only in the southern Tagalog region, but across the Philippines. Because really, there are many human rights abuses, human rights violations that are happening. We have enforced disappearances. We have trumped up charges filed against activists. And we also have, um, we also have some individuals being designated as terrorists themselves. Yeah, wow. That, that does sound very... Um very dire there and how how bad is it like when you when you get when you get trumped up charges against you when activists get charged uh trumped up charges against them um do do the cases like proceed in court do do people get um incarcerated because of that do people go to prison or do um yeah what what are what are the the worst case scenarios if you've been labeled a terrorist with this act yes of course the worst case scenario is that under under the anti-terrorism act the penalty is a life sentence in jail. So that is the worst thing that could happen. So right now, as we, we are handling uh, these cases, all of them or uh, most of them are in the uh, face of a preliminary investigation. So courts in the region are trying to find probable cause to actually bring these cases to court. But then uh, given the... Uh, given the situation, it's really very hard for us to continue on our work because there is a threat to our life and liberty. We have experience, uh, at least in the southern Tagalog region, we have experience uh, intelligence agents or even uniformed personnel going into our homes and asking about uh, our personal information. We have also been subjected to surveillance and really there is a threat to our life and liberty. Even on social media pages, for example, they brand us as terrorists. Or for someone like me, I have been branded as the queen of lies by a troll account managed by the 
by the armed forces of the Philippines. So things like that, they, they get to you actually. Aside from, of course, the cost of going to court and the legal battle that would ensue, it's also... Uh, it it would also affect us mentally, physically, emotionally because it takes a toll. No, I mean it's a very serious concern for many of us that it really does take a toll because you fear for your life, you get alarmed over what could happen next. Or in the southern Tagalog region, we have experienced uh, something like the bloody Sunday raids and killings that happened on March 7, 2021, where nine activists were killed. Uh, we got to know that they were also branded as members of communist terrorist groups. And then the next thing we know, they were being served warrants. And in the service of these warrants, they were killed. So, yes, that is the current situation right now. And it really becomes a challenge for us to continue the work that we do. And it does take a toll on our uh, personal well-being as well. But then I think at the end of the day, uh, as human rights defenders and as activists, we, the ray of light that we see at the end of the tunnel is that we are doing this because we know that we are fighting for truth and justice and that we know that we are doing something right and that this is not a lost cause. But then we need to continuously fight because rights were never really given to us. Rather, we have always fought for our rights and history shows us that. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. I can't imagine how difficult it must be. I mean, obviously, it, it takes a toll not only to be um, linked directly to uh, to terrorism or labeled a terrorist, but also to experience that on your on your daily lives like people coming into the house being labeled that on, on like social media um it's actually pretty amazing and pretty inspiring that you can keep on uh you know fighting this you know fighting the good fight it's really important uh that you do so but i also want to ask like how do you how do you deal with that how, like do you yeah it, it it takes a toll on you and you you did mention that um realizing that this is something that you need to keep fighting for but obviously that that doesn't come easily right um how do you how do you deal with that um is it is it is it through like peer support and collective care or do you how do you remind yourself that hey this is important and we need to keep going for me personally and for many activists in the southern tagalog region i think the key is actually peer support or at least we have our own groups of people or a support group actually that tells us and reminds us every day of how important it is the work that we do. Of course, we also employ um, psychological consultations with, uh, with doctors or with people like that to debrief us and to keep us grounded in the things that we do. But I think a very important aspect of us being able to face these challenges every day is the thought that there are many of us and that... Um, our collectives or our our peer groups are really there to support us. So public support and then the support of your friends and your family, they, they really uh, give you a lot of uh, courage and perseverance. And of course, no, another thing, at least for my case, is that whenever I go to communities and get to hear the stories of people who are marginalized or uh, the individuals from basic sectors such as the farmers and the workers, I am really reminded of for who we are doing this for. It sounds cliche, but in Filipino, we say para kanino, no? or for who. And that really is what keeps us going because um, 
history has shown that there is power in our collective action. Uh, history has shown that there is power in numbers and that nothing is impossible for as long as uh, the people can unite in a common goal and that we keep fighting the good fight because in the end, we'd all like to believe that truth and justice will really prevail. So I think those are the uh, most important things. Peer support and then you really ground yourself with the marginalized sectors. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really amazing to hear. And again, thank you. You're you're doing such uh, such important work there. Um, I'm also wondering. Um, this is going back a little bit to the um, to the to the tool to the legal tool that's that's being used to oppress you and to silence you, which is the uh, which is the Anti Terrorism Act, right? So um, obviously, it's a it's a very uh, problematic uh, problematic clause or problematic law. Um, are there people, are there like advocacy groups or are there movements that target this law itself? You know, maybe, um, I don't know, people demanding revision of the law or other advocacy groups just maybe deleting that, that law or, or, or something like that. Um, are there any of those that, that, you, that you're familiar with? Yes, actually, when the law was still a bill or when it was... Uh, when it was initially passed as a law in 2020, there were actually several groups of people and other advocacy groups that questioned the constitutionality of the Anti-Terror Act. Actually, we had 37 petitions in the Philippines uh, across the country. We had 37 petitions filed before the Supreme Court questioning the constitutionality of the Anti-Terror Act of 2020. And then, of course, there are these are individuals from different mass organizations as well as lawyers, other concerned groups. Because really, uh, in the provisions of the Anti-Terror Act, it really stifles constitutionally guaranteed rights, right to assemble, right to free speech, and of course, our right to life to our right to life and liberty so things like that so yes actually there is a wide movement of individuals and different organizations fighting against uh, the anti-terrorism act and uh, one of them is uh, the movement against tyranny which is a national organization that uh, also seeks to stop the tyrannical rule or to stop dictatorship and to stop attacks against the people. So I'd like to believe and we'd like to believe that we are not alone in this fight, but then uh, a wider scope of individuals and of citizens of the Philippines can see how problematic and how the Anti-Terrorism Act is being used against the people. Yes, I do agree that the Anti-Terrorism Act of 2020, signed by the former President Rodrigo Duterte, is really abusive by its nature because its provisions are vague and overbroad that can be used for political persecution against activists and human rights defenders like us. And if I will be asked if we can do something about this law, as a victim of this draconian terror law, our call is to junk or abolish it. No revisions of this law can suffice to safeguard and protection of human rights defenders, especially under this political climate. Because the Philippine government is reactionary by its nature, and the Anti-Terrorism Act is just another scheme to shrink the civil and democratic spaces of the Philippines. Moreover, it does not want to address the ongoing armed conflict in the Philippines. It is just a band-aid solution. In reality, the Anti-Terrorism Act or ATA victimizes the poor and ordinary people and targets human rights activists who are actively campaigning for the cause. 
do you think do you think it has any effects? I mean, has there been more discussions towards, for example, um, revising the law, or is it still very very early and like, or maybe even the the activists that demand the change in the law are labeled terrorists themselves? Or what is the current situation in the in the fight in the advocacy? As a human rights defender since. 2020, the year when the terror law was promulgated, I feared for my life, for my future. Human rights organizations opposed this terror law because of its vague definition of a terrorist. Now that I'm a victim, three years after the law was enacted, it's only natural for me, I think, to be anxious, but I have more anger because the state is demonizing the concept of human rights. And my anger needs to be translated productively. And I have to continue to fight. There's no other way. Because if we don't, nothing will happen. This honestly terrifies us. The terror law is known for legitimizing illegal arrests and detention and even extrajudicial killings. It's like a Russian roulette of human rights violations. And right now, under the new Marcos Duterte administration, we are facing its wrath. The political persecution against us puts our lives in grave danger. Aside from this, we are also being red-tagged by state-controlled media, such as the SMNI and internet troll accounts that are clearly owned by police and military personnel. This creates a chilling effect in the human rights situation in the Philippines. And because we are also facing the unjust judiciary system of this country, we are unsure of our fate. But against all odds, we remain steadfast and inclined to our principles. It's during these times that we remember to hold on to the power of the mass movement led by the people for the people. Yes, at this point in time, actually, uh, the Supreme Court junked the petitions and upheld the Anti-Terrorism Act of 2020 on the basis that it has not caused injury to anyone. So right now, we are coordinating with different organizations in the country to try to revisit that Supreme Court ruling and to have to ask to again open the talks or open the court proceedings to actually question once again the constitutionality and the legality of the Anti-Terrorism Act. Because currently, no, they said back in 2020 that there was no injury yet. But right now in the Southern Tagalog region, if it's any indication, we already have 18 individuals who are being, or 18 cases of this Anti-Terror Act. So I guess that is already enough basis to once again question the constitutionality. So right now, we are in the initial steps of once again convening as a group the petitioners, the lawyers, and other concerned uh, organizations and individuals and to once again uh, question the, constitu the constitutionality of the act of the law uh, in the Supreme Court. And hopefully, we can gather enough support and we create a public clamor and public opinion and which hopefully will lead to the repealing of the law. Oh yeah, that that would be ideal. I mean, it's it's also like, um, haven't caused any injuries, but at the same time, eighteen people in Southern Tagalog alone have been, uh, has been, you know, the the law has been used against them, and with the risk of the lifetime sentencing, lifetime incarceration, that's 
really, really horrible, and it does definitely does not sound constitutional. Um, so, so you you mentioned that you know you you need you need to to you know work on this um, a lot. You are working on this uh, on on pushing for people pushing for. Um, the government to actually repeal the law, and there's like lots of movement there. So I guess a question that we always ask uh, in in these in these kinds of podcasts is that, what kind of solidarity um, do you need? What kind of solidarity are you are you guys building, both from maybe inside the Philippines, or, but also outside of the Philippines, to actually increase pressure for the government to eventually repeal this law, to debate the. Um, you know, debate the argument that hey, it is actually causing a lot, lots of injuries, and it is not constitutional. So, what do you think the movement needs right now? Um, in Southern Tagalog region, and also along with national human rights organizations in the Philippines, we launched the Defend the Defenders campaign, which aims to raise awareness on the alarming series of attacks, such as the filing of false charges against human rights defenders and activists. Through this campaign, we aim to expose the state-sponsored attacks in many provinces in Southern Tagalog, which includes Calabarzon and Mimaropa. As a spokesperson and paralegal of Tanggol Batangan, which is a human rights organization in my province, Batangas, we continuously conduct fact-finding missions and human humanitarian missions to aid victims of human rights violations in order to claim our democratic spaces and echo the cause of victims of human rights violations, including me. We also conduct mass mobilizations and widen our networks of concerned human rights organizations. Of course, I think that uh, what we currently need right now is support from our, from the international community actually, be it as simple as releasing a statement from different human rights organizations or even uh, different uh, governments from other countries that would really a big that would really be uh, that would really be a big help. And the pushback against this act. At the same time, I think what the Philippines needs is it needs to feel, or at least the government of the Republic of the Philippines needs to feel that they are being watched by international observers or that their counterparts in other countries are watching the dire situation that we are in and that they would be held accountable. So... Uh, in terms of international support, the release of statements, of course, uh, these things, and then financial and logistical support for those of us who are facing uh, the legal battle. We have already applied to different grants or different uh, human rights organizations or non-government organizations that offer such emergency funding. So things like that would really be uh, would be a great help. And uh, as for my point earlier about international observers, I think it really makes an impact on courts whenever we have international observers uh, in courtrooms or just observing what is happening in court proceedings, ensuring that the trial is fair or that the investigation is fair and not biased against uh, the activists or the individuals from progressive organizations. And of course, uh, things like this, no, just just helping us make our plight be known, just helping us to raise awareness on these current issues in the Philippines. It's it, re it really makes a huge impact because then we are able to garner support and we are able to let people know what really is happening in the Philippines. Because, you know, uh, there can be many means, especially if if who you are fighting is the government itself, 
So there really are mechanisms, like in the Philippines, for example, there is an era of fake news, of disinformation and misinformation, of troll accounts, spreading lies and fake news across social media. So just getting word out there that this is the truth, this is really is what is happening. So that's already a big, big help for us. And we are able to raise awareness and we are able to expose what really is happening and uh, what is the situation in the country right now? I see. Yeah, um, that 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 does make a lot of sense. And also, um, I don't think it's a it's an isolated incident. Unfortunately, uh, that governments are using these kinds of like problematic legal clauses to go after human rights defenders and activists, and also um, government sanctioned and government funded troll accounts online. Uh, all of these uh, fake news again. Um, that's that's going on. I think a lot of countries, especially a lot of countries in Southeast Asia, are dealing with the same thing. So um, getting the attention of the international community, I think, needs to be tied with like, you know, contextualizing this also in a in a Southeast Asian fight for for democracy, even in its in its own uniqueness with with every country being having its own context, having its own um, yeah, having having their own fights. But I do agree with you fully that. Um, establishing international uh, recognition of what is going on in in the Philippines, but also the rest, um, uh, the rest of Southeast Asia, in order to build a kind of solidarity, will be uh, yeah, will be important. Um, I wonder if you have any any comments on that, but also, um, again, you did you did mention uh, speaking up on social media, getting people to know about these issues, but also like um, helping. Uh, materially and via via all of these uh, very these these kinds of various channels, um, do you have any kind of like you know thoughts or comments or suggestions for the listeners themselves as individuals or if they're connected to like other organization uh, other organizations about how listeners can help directly participate like right now help 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 create change and help your conditions both in the sense of um, you know, repealing the law, but also, uh, in general, dealing with like these kinds of disinformation, um, and also uh, providing peer support, but providing collective care uh, to each other. Yeah, just as a wrap-up question, what are your thoughts on all of these? Yes, of course, our listeners can always follow us on our social media account. So that is Defense Southern Tagalog, and we also use Defense Southern Tagalog as a hashtag to actually raise awareness on what is currently happening in the Southern Tagalog region in the Philippines. And of course, um, when you visit our Facebook page and our X account, formerly Twitter, you would see there our statements, our press releases, our stand on different uh, political and social issues that is plaguing the country. So a share, a click of the share button or of the retweet, or repost button would really be a big, uh, great help for us to get the word the word out there, because right now I do believe that uh, we need the solidarity, uh, we need the cooperation of people even from outside of the Philippines to to affect a positive uh, positive change or to join us in this fight. And I think that a simple click on your computer screens or or on your cell phones or even postings of uh, short video messages of solidarity that would really be a big help to us here 
on ground doing the hard work that we do. But just knowing that there are people from outside the country also supporting us, that would really boost our morale, that would really boost, um, I, I mean, in a way, it would kind of diminish the toll that it takes in the work that we do. But at the same time, it's it's two things. You are We are able to, with just one click, we are able to share, we are able to raise awareness. And at the same time, that one click will be very, very much appreciated for us doing this fight, being part of the struggle, because that means that we're doing something right and that people do understand why we are doing this and for whom we are doing it. So... I guess uh, that is the uh, that is one of the most important parts of this thing because this is a movement, this is a campaign, and uh, the journey might be hard. It may not be that easy, and we may face many challenges along the way. But knowing that we have a ton of people supporting us and behind us, then that would really make a big difference. Yeah. Um. Thank you. So, one last question, I guess, if there are listeners. Who may be in the in a in a similar position, maybe not in the Philippines, maybe not with the anti-terror uh, anti-terrorism act, but maybe with other uh, similar problematic causes with like trumped-up charges against them, whether they're activists or human rights defenders in other countries in Southeast Asia, and they're and it's really taking a toll on them, and they're starting to doubt whether it's worth it to fight. But we need to keep going, right? Um, what would you say? What would you tell them? What would you tell these people? I think this is the right opportunity for us to raise awareness on the ongoing human rights crisis in the Philippines. This podcast actually is already a platform for us to voice out our struggle. And I believe that fellow Southeast Asians can further help by joining us in our call to junk the terror law. We are also calling for all concerned individuals and organizations to join our campaign. This is one big fight for each and every one of us, for many human rights defenders, for many activists. This is all for democracy, for human rights, and for just and lasting peace for the whole world, not only for one country. Keeping the fight and keeping the struggle would be so, so worth it in the end, and we are not alone. Okay, uh, thank you very much. I think it's been uh, it's been a great interview. And that wraps up our discussion with Chom, Ken, and Haley. Their case is sadly just one among many instances of red tagging and similar practices of labeling activists as terrorists with trumped up charges against them. This is why building solidarity is of utmost importance, not only to fight, but also to maintain our sanity and keep the dream alive. We're fighting the good fight, and there will always be hope on the horizon. If you know anyone who's been labeled a terrorist or otherwise struggling with trumped-up charges, send them a message. Give them a call. Ask them how they're doing. Let them know they're not alone. We are all in this together. If you'd like to provide direct material support to Charm, Ken and Haley, you can find information of donation channels in our show notes at newnarrative.com. Let us all keep supporting the persecuted activists, vigorously fight for the repeal of the terror law, and defend human rights in the face of the growing atmosphere of repression and impunity in the Philippines as well as the rest of Southeast Asia. My name is Bonnie Bell Rambatan, and this has been Southeast Asia Dispatches. 
brought to you by New Narrative and produced by Dania Yudo. I'll see you around.